All right, so last week, if you were here last week, last week was a little heavy, right? So some of you, you were like, yikes. But if I didn't run you off last week, I'm going to take another crack at it today. (laughs) We're going to give it another shot, see what I got in me. Um, Man, as we've gone through this year of the Bible, and I am so, thank you, so those of you who are continuing to read the Bible, thank you so much. Uh, Maybe you're going to start today. Thank you for that. Uh, it's never, as Danny says, every week is never too late to start. Where there's reading plans, pick them up. But as we're reading these things, some things are happening. And I know sometimes it can be tough and sometimes it can be frustrating. And, and sometimes it's hard to, to work in that 20 minutes of God time into our incredibly busy schedule that God can't possibly relate to how busy any of us are as he oversees the universe. Um, but it is, I'm kidding, it is hard. It's hard to make that a discipline. But, but I'm going to tell you guys, people who are doing this are being changed. I had a conversation with a lady this week, and, and she told me that as she was reading the Word, God was cultivating some things in her heart and making her aware of some things. It was a beautiful conversation, and she's not alone. I'm talking to people all over this room who God is working on changing, transforming through the power of the Word. So keep reading. And this week, we, uh, if you're with us, we read some Leviticus. Y'all like that? I'm not going to talk about that today. And uh, we read some Mark. And I think we should be somewhere around Mark chapter 7 now, if you're keeping pace. Uh, But let me give you a little background. Mark was not a disciple, but they believe that Mark was probably the earliest of all the Gospels as far as when it was written. So Mark was written the closest to the death of Christ of any of the other Gospels. And although Mark wasn't a disciple, Mark hung out with people who knew Jesus. Mark went on Paul with his journeys. And so Mark would have known uh, Peter. And so Mark would have had firsthand conversations with the rock on which this church was built. Not this church, the church. Mark, Mark would have had access to some people who had seen some incredible things. And, and as every author has an agenda, okay? Every week I write a message and every week I have an agenda. And most of the times God's agenda is different. And so mine gets tossed to the side as if it wasn't even important. But authors always have an agenda, And if all of us had walked with Jesus for three years, and then we were to write a story about it, every story we wrote would be different, right? Just like if there was an accident out there in the lobby right now, and we all saw it, and then the police interviewed us, no two stories would be exactly alike. As a matter of fact, when two stories are exactly alike, people get suspicious, right? When my son and his buddy tells me the exact same story, I know something's up. That's why I isolate suspects and then break them down. Right? And really, no two stories should be exact. So if you walked with Jesus, you might tell a story about, about his love. Maybe your story of Jesus would be all about the love of God, or, or maybe your story of Jesus would be all about his mercy, or maybe it would be about grace or forgiveness. Like you would pick some aspect of Jesus that you were really attracted to, and your story would sort of center around that, right? Mark has an agenda. Mark's agenda is power and authority. Mark's story about Jesus, he's writing to Romans, and Romans' power and authority meant something. And so Mark's Jesus story centers around the power and the authority of Jesus. And so the first seven chapters of Mark are like an action movie. Like he skips right past six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. He goes for the action. Like Mark immediately starts talking about healings. 
And so we see Jesus' power over disease when Mark tells a story of Jesus healing something. And we see Jesus' power over the wind and the waves when Jesus rebukes a storm and tells it to stop. And we see Jesus' power over physics when he walks on water. And we see Jesus' power over death when that little girl who died and Jesus walks into a room and goes, oh no, she's just asleep. Wake up, little girl. I love that story, by the way. And Jesus calls that that little girl back to life and we see his power. Oh, we see his power over religion with the way he rebukes the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Power, power, power. And then five times, four or five times in the first seven chapters of Mark, we see Jesus cast out demons. We see his power over Satan and over evil. And this is a true story, what I'm about to tell you right now. Like, I don't read chicken soup for the pastor's soul and then come up here and tell, like, at least 80% of the stories I tell you on a given Sunday are true. And this, this one is true. I was writing this part of the message. So I'm sitting in my office, and I'm, I'm not writing, I'm, I'm typing. I'm typing this part of the message, and when I started to type the words, power over demons, all the power in East End went out. This was on Wednesday. Y'all remember? The electricity went out in my office. It went out at the hibachi box, which was a big deal. It went, it went out everywhere, and I was like, okay. That was weird. But I was about to type power over demons, and no power. And I was like, all right, I see. I see how we're going to play. So I lit a candle, sat in the dark, and wrote a sermon about the power of Jesus over demons. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know why we're going to talk about it? Because I grew up in a church where I never heard a sermon about the power of God over demons. I heard about forgiveness. I heard about the power of Jesus over sins. I heard the power of Jesus over wind and waves and over life and death. And I've heard sermons over all these things. But either I grew up in a denomination that didn't believe this part, or I grew up in a church that didn't read this part, or I grew up with people who were uncomfortable with this part. I don't know. I'm not knocking anything. But somewhere along the way, I never heard a sermon about the power of God over demons. I have never to this day sat in a church and had a pastor preach to me about Jesus and demons. Now, I think there's some reasons why we hadn't heard that sermon. I think there's reasons why people don't talk about that in church. And the first reason is, is because demon sermons are for weird churches. That's what the weird church talks about, right? None of y'all inviting your friends to demon sermon Sunday. I mean, really, because that's what they talk about at the weird church. We come here to avoid weird church conversations, Right? I mean, we're like, ah, we like to talk about love and forgiveness and marriage and babies and just things that we like. And we like the parts of the Bible that are super cute. We leave the parts that don't make sense to the weird church. Am I right? That's one of the reasons we don't talk about it very often. Because that's what weird Christians talk about, the whole Bible. God forbid we start to do that. So that's one reason. Second reason we don't talk about it, we don't believe it, right? We don't, we don't believe it, so we don't talk about it. Uh, it. It's funny to me that when you look at statistics, like most people believe in a God. Most people in America believe in a God of some sort. Typically, that God is them. But most people believe in a God. And, and most people in church believe in the God, right? Yahweh, the God. And most people believe in angels. There's all sorts of movies. They're so touched by an angel, I mean, there's people believe in angels. <clears throat> people believe in heaven. Most people. 
Now, what they don't believe in is Satan, hell, or demons. The same people, even in church, who believe in, who believe in angels, heaven, and God, don't believe in Satan, hell, and demons, even though they're talked about in the exact same paragraphs. It's like we're going through the Bible and going, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, you're cool, you're out, Blah. We create our own gospel based around what we choose to believe, around what feels good and what doesn't. And it's like, we say, oh, it's, they're just using colorful language. Jesus is using colorful language when he talks about demons, but he's using literal language when he talks about heaven. He's using the same language. When Jesus tells that storm to, to calm, it's the exact same Aramaic word as when he tells that demon to be quiet. It's not different language. We just don't believe it. And because we don't believe it, we don't talk about it. And then some people believe it too much. Right? Some people, everything's a demon. Them demons done got hold of my kids. He was out stealing hubcaps. <laughs> demon didn't get your kid. You just didn't discipline your child. <laughs> Them demons got hold of my finances. I'm broke. No, you're not. You're lazy. That's the problem. It's not a demon. You don't need holy water. You need a job. <laughs> right? It's not demon got No. Some people believe in demons too much. But so we either give them too much power or none at all. And so, but for the most part, we don't believe it, so we don't talk about it. That's movies, that's Hollywood, right? Or the third possible reason, and this is the one where I'm going to lose all about half the people, is we don't talk about it because demons don't want to be talked about. So, somewhere in the midst of those three reasons, could be why we don't talk about it. The enemy hides in darkness. Revelation 20, which I'm not, we're not gonna, it's not on the screen, but in Revelation 20, which you will read at some point in your Bible reading, probably at the end of your Bible reading, but Revelation 20 talks about uh, Satan was a, was a free will being, right? And he chose of his free will to rebel against God, and so he was cast down from heaven, and he brought down with him a bunch of other free will beings, which are angels. And so, by, by the way, guys, I just want to hit this real quick. Humans at no point become angels. Like when you die, you don't become an angel. I just want to make sure we're clear on that. Angels are a created being, totally distinct and different from humans. Dead humans don't become angels. They become humans living in, with God in heaven, but not angels. So, but, just a quick side note. So, but, but we believe that when Satan was cast down, he brought with him a bunch of angels. And those, when we talk about demons in the Bible, what they're talking about is Satan and his minions that now roam the earth. And, and they don't want to be known. They hate God and they hate God's people. In John 10, 10, we sort of see the battle lines of what the war is all about. And it says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is Jesus talking. It's in red letters. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the enemy Satan, if he is real, and I believe he is, the enemy Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Like he wants to steal your life. That's why he exists. Christ came to give you life and to give it to the fullest. Christ wants to give you life, not so that you can be happy, so that you can use your life to bring him glory. We talked about this last week. It's not about you. It's about him. He's given us life so that that life can be used to glorify his name and make him famous. And the enemy is coming to steal life because the enemy believes that by stealing your life, he steals the glory of God. And so the battle line between good and evil is life is you. We are the battle line between good and evil. 
And one is trying to steal it and one has come to give it. But the enemy, Satan, in Genesis it says he is crafty. He was the craftiest of all the creatures, man. He's trying to steal and he knows how to do it. And he knows his best work is done in secret. The enemy operates in secret. He's trying to steal from you. There's a movie called uh, Devil's Advocate, and I, don't, I, don't, uh, I wouldn't tell you to watch this movie, and I'll tell you in a few minutes why you shouldn't watch it. But, but in that movie, there's an amazing quote, and it says, um, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. Like he is, You know how hard it is to fight an enemy that you don't believe is real? How in the world can you possibly protect yourself from something you don't believe is a real threat? If I don't believe he's real, and I don't believe he's really there, or I believe that he's really just this little guy from a cartoon with a little red suit with pitch, you know, the pitchfork, if that's what I, or if I believe that the devil is actually George Burns, then that's an old movie right there, man. That's an old movie. But if that's what I believe, then what in the world am I going to do to protect myself from him? So the enemy is trying to convince you that he is not real. And it's not hard to get you to not believe something that you already do not believe in. It's not hard to get you to believe something you believe in. It doesn't take a good salesman to sell you a car you want, right? Moms, you get this. It's not hard. It's not hard for someone to convince you that your child is good, because you believe your child is good. My, I'll use my mom as an example because she's here and she likes it when I do this. My mom had the hardest time believing that I was a criminal. Even though, <laughs> even though everything in the world said I was a criminal, my mother would not believe it. The rap sheet didn't convince her. The neighbors didn't convince her. The stolen goods in my dresser drawer did not convince her. Nothing would convince her I was a criminal. Right? You could not convince my mom I was a criminal. Now, my brother, you could, but my mom, you couldn't. Right? Because she didn't want to believe that. Right? She's still blaming herself for the stuff I stole when I was 10 years old. She did not want to believe that. It's not hard to get you to believe something you already believe, and it's not hard to get you to not believe something that you really don't want to believe. So the enemy's job is not all that complicated, if you think about it, because we don't want to believe this. Because we don't want to believe God would allow this. But to not believe it is to throw out massive parts of Scripture arbitrarily. And because it's there, I think we have to stop and talk about it. And I know it's weird, guys. I get it. It's weird. It's weird for me. And I know it's embarrassing. Like some of you brought friends today and you're going, oh my gosh, why did I bring them today? Like every, I could have brought them to my church any day. Why did Tommy not put on Facebook he was going to talk about demons? And the answer is because I wanted you to be here. I get it. I'm preaching uphill because I'm preaching into something that very few of us believe and even less of us want to believe. But it's there, and I believe it's true, and it's talked about a lot, so I would caution you to just arbitrarily dismiss it. In Mark 1, 28, we're going to go through some stories in Mark and see what we can learn from Mark, Mark's stories about demons. And in the first one, Mark 1, 20, uh, it's Mark 1, it starts about verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath... And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. 
Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. By the way, that be quiet is the same thing Jesus said to the storm when he said calm. Same words. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure demon shook. And the man violently came out of him with a shriek. And the people were amazed. And they asked each other, what was that? A new teaching? And with what authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits. And they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. I bet it did. So, so if we believe this story is true, which I do, then what do we learn from it? The first thing we learn is that that man was possessed by a demon. That this demon had actually possessed this man. And it's, it's interesting, as, as I've been reading Mark and sort of studying this this week, demons are spatially limited. I don't know that that's a real word, but it works. They are limited in space. They can't be everywhere at once. Right? Demons are not omnipresent. They're not all places at all times. Satan himself is limited in space and time. So if every single one of you are blaming Satan for your potty mouth, then someone is lying. Right? <laughs> oh, that must have been Satan. I doubt it. He can only be one place at one time, and the odds of me being that place are kind of slim. Now, demons, there's lots of them. But they're limited in space and time. And Jesus in the flesh had restrained his own power. Demons' power is limited. Jesus restrained his own power in the flesh. So he's limited to space and time. In the flesh, Jesus is limited to space and time by his choice. And so what you see happening over and over in the Bible is the demons occupy a space. And when Jesus comes into that same space, when the space of the demon over, over, overarches with the space of Jesus, what you see is conflict. When the two come into that same space, it is a problem. It's not, how you doing, demon? How you doing? Jesus, good to see you. It is, a, it is a conflict. They're screeching and screaming and there's fighting. Because God does not occupy the same space as demons. When those two are in the same space, somebody's fixing to get pushed out. And there's a clear winner every time. But what I think is fascinating about that is this. The people who are inhabited by Christ, cannot be inhabited by demons. Either one or the other will inhabit you, but both cannot live there because they're terrible roommates. Because Christ won't put up with it. He's a jealous God. He does not allow you to flirt with demons in his space. So, so if you're inhabited by God, if you are a son of daughter of God, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're inhabited by the Holy Spirit, then you cannot be possessed by a demon. They can pester you. They can torment you. They can try to trick and deceive, but they cannot possess you. They cannot dominate you because you are inhabited by God. And that's good news. And it's, you know, it's, it's weird, like, even if you don't leave here today believing that demons are real, which many of you won't, and I, I get that. I hope maybe you'll open yourself to the possibility, but at least believe this. The holiness of God always illuminates evil. So what you see is when Christ walks into a place with his, with his perfection, evil becomes apparent. And for those of you who know Christ, you've seen that in your own life, right? The closer you get to God, the more aware you become of sin in your life. Like things that you didn't think were sin, 
10 or 15 years ago and the more you walk. Walking close to Christ. Hear this, because I think this is so important for the church today. Getting closer to Christ does not affirm your choice to sin. Getting close to Christ does not tell you that my sin is okay. It tells you that my sin is an abomination and it needs to be destroyed. The closer you get to Christ, you don't become more, oh, this is okay. You become aware of what needs to change inside of you. And then you become aware that you have the power to change it through Jesus Christ. But his holiness always magnifies evil. It becomes apparent. And so when Jesus is walking in the flesh, you're like, why are there so many demons running around back then? It's because the Lamb of God was walking around. And when he was present, they became apparent. Right? That's possible. The holiness of God shines a light in the darkness. There's something else I thought was weird in that story. In verse 23, it says, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, That demon was in church. I want you to hear this. Sitting here is not enough to protect you from evil. Occupying a seat in here for an hour will not set you free. It's only those who are inhabited by the Holy Spirit of the living God who have protection against the evil forces of the spiritual realms. Sitting here doesn't do it. Surrendering to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's what fortifies you. Demon was in church, man. You're inhabited by one who has authority. Mark 5, I, th- I think the reason Mark told, remember Mark is, his, his thing is about power and authority. And in Mark 5, we see the power and authority of Christ fully displayed. It says, they went across the lake to a region called the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. By the way, if you're just meandering around in a graveyard, stop. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Sit right there for just a second. There is power in evil. All right? This man had power that made no sense. There is power in evil. So don't don't deny what is what is a reality? This man had, had power. The verse goes on. It says, Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to them, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? How often does God ask somebody, What's your name? I love that. God says, What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again, don't send us out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. Jesus gave them permission. The impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into a lake and they were drowned. Amen. All right, so there's some things about this story. If you believe this story is real... You believed chapter 4 and you believed chapter 6. So if you believe that chapter 5 is real, there's some things about this story that we should consider. For one thing, Jesus has incredible power. 2,000, a legion of demons. And Jesus says, you go. I've got power over you. And they knew the name of God. Even the enemy knows who the king is. I love that, man. They're like, 
You're Jesus, the Son of God. And they begin to shake. It's 2,000 to 1. Y'all understand the odds of this? It's 2,000 to 1. And unless they're doing like the Bruce Lee movies where they all fight him one at a time, you know, like one guy fights and the next, it's like a Power Ranger. 2,000 to 1, and they run from him. Like, they're like, whatever. They're begging for their lives as one Jesus stands there. And I hate, it makes me so mad when we paint Jesus as this weak, blonde-haired, blue-eyed sheep petter. This is a man with power. And he looks and says, oh, y'all got a problem now because I'm here. Get out. And he throws them into those pigs, and the pigs go and drown themselves. And the pig farmer's like, what'd I do? What? A 2,000 of my pigs. God's like, I told you not to eat pork. I got this. Really, though? There's some power in that story, right? That just came to me. I didn't say that in the first one. That's funny. Thank you, God, for that. That was fun. I don't even know. I forgot what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. He's got power over it, right? They can't possess you. They can't control you. They can pester you. But Jesus stands in the face of 2,000 of them and says, gone, and they're gone. I think we forget that. And so let's assume that we believe this is true. Let's assume just for a second that we all believe that these, these aren't just figments of our imagination. Let's assume that we believe what Paul believed in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul wrote these words, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's assume we don't think Paul was joking when he wrote that, that there is a struggle between good and evil, life and death, and it's happening, and, and our battle is not really what we can see. Our battle's in some other realm. Let's assume we believe that. Let's assume that the enemy is real. Let's assume that he cannot possess us. Let's assume that our God has power over him, but let's assume he is trying to destroy you. Then what do we do? And if you take notes, write this down. Because this, I believe, is the solution. Be careful what you let into your home. Now hear me. Be careful what you let into your mind, into your heart, and be careful what you let into your home. The enemy, I want you to know this. If they're real, and I believe they do, they are. They're not going to knock at your door and you're going to answer it and there's going to be a six-headed dragon. Let me in. Let me in there. I want your kids. That's not what's going to happen. If that was what would happen, it would be super obvious us to shut the door. They're not presenting themselves as six-headed dragons or that's not what they're doing. Listen to 2 Corinthians, and I think I read this for like the first time this week and actually thought about it. 2 Corinthians, I think it's verse chapter 1, 14 or something, it says this, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Satan and the enemies aren't coming to your house as dragons and things that are going to destroy you. They're not standing out there with Freddy Krueger mask on. They're disguising themselves as things that we like. So be careful what you let in your home. If this is true, that there is an enemy prowling to destroy your life and destroy the lives of your children, be careful what you let in your home. 
what kind of music are you listening to in your house? And again, I don't want to be the weird pastor from the weird church, but maybe the weird church is on to something. What kind of music are, are you listening to? What are the messages? Though? See, we believe in means of grace in this church. We believe that God can commune to us, that God speaks to us through things like water and baptism and through bread and juice and communion, that God gives us power and, 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 and the, through, through Bible study, God can speak to you and change your life and through worshiping together that God can speak and change your life, that we are drawn closer to the power of God through things, through prayer and through fasting, through things that we have access to. If there are means of grace, is it possible that there are also means of evil, that the enemy has his tools? And are those tools possibly things that we've got in our homes? What are you watching on TV? What are you letting your kids watch? Movies that celebrate evil? Movies like Exorcist and all these kinds of things? I mean, if this is true, which I believe it is, are these things that we should allow into our home? The enemy's not breaking our door down. We're opening up the door and inviting him into our house. Men, I'm talking men, pornography? What are we letting into our home? This isn't just a you problem. You may have allowed something into your home that's trying to destroy the heart of your son or daughter. Stuff. I hear people all the time talk about, you know, I'm, 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 my mom or my, my sister or my grandma or whatever passed away and, and I'm still speaking with them. The Bible would tell you, stop. We don't commune with the dead. Ouija boards and horoscopes and all these things that the Bible really clearly tells us to stay away from, we flirt with the enemy. The Bible says flee from evil, man. Flee, run from it. But we don't want to do it because we think then we'll be the weird Christians. Maybe. At least we'll be protected. If any of this is real, is it really extreme to remove evil from your house? Is it really extreme to think about what you're letting in your mind and what you're letting in your heart? If it's real, then it matters. Guys, let me tell you something, and, and I, I'm, I'm not, um, y'all know me, man. I have been in rooms where there was no doubt in my mind that evil was alive and active. I've been in prayer situations where and if you're full of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and you've spent any time in your life fighting for God, then you're going to relate to what I'm about to tell you. Have you ever been in a space where the hair on your neck stood up? Something in your spirit told you that you shouldn't be there, you shouldn't watch that, you should. You ever been there? Why do we suppress that voice? Oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to keep watching. It's, it's okay. I, I can be here, it's okay. The spirit of power and the spirit of truth, the same spirit that cast 2,000 demons to death, if he is warning you about something, it would probably make sense to stop and listen. That's why he says flee from these things, man, flee from it. This is God protecting us. We need to listen to the voice we have. More often than not, what you don't need is more information. What you need to do is use the information you have. And he's giving it to you saying, no, 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 no. I don't want you to go in there. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to watch that. I don't want you to listen to that. And I'm not, God's not trying to make us puritanical. He's not trying to deny us our fun. He's trying to save us from evil and from things that want to destroy us. The Bible says the enemy is prowling like a lion. 
And we should be shrewd. The Bible said, I'm sending you out, man, but I'm making you shrewd as snakes. We're no dummies either. Use the power God has given you to discern good from evil. And if you don't have discernment, just be obedient. It's not a guessing game. We'll get to Deuteronomy soon. It's got a lot of things it tells you to avoid. I I would ask you to at least consider it. So guys, you have an option today. To leave here and think that, that I am crazy, which is surely a decent option, or, or maybe it's true. And if it's real, what do you do? What do you do if it's real? If the enemy is real. And let me tell you something, guys. When you, when you identify him as real, it doesn't get easier because he doesn't sit by passively. He's here to steal, kill, and destroy. But you have been handed weapons. I recommend you go to war.